Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode 67. Brooke, I believe in synchronicity and over the course of this year, one particular message has been crossing my path again and again and it's this idea that we're not broken so why do we keep trying to fix ourselves Mm. and I think the reason this message has resonated so much with me personally is because I have spent most of my life trying to fix my introversion because I guess the message I got growing up was that, you know, this quiet side of me that you know, didn't love being with people all day, every day, or didn't love going to parties or loud pubs. And that, because that wasn't my idea of fun, I felt like there was something wrong with me and that something wrong with me needed to be fixed. And it was really only in my early thirties or mid thirties that I kind of realized, oh, hang on a minute. That, that side of you doesn't mean you're broken Mm -hmm. and it doesn't need to be fixed. If it affects your life, it's something that needs to be managed. And, you know, certainly there's shyness playing in there that, you know, I have needed to manage. But yeah, these aspects of myself that I've been trying to fix all my life, like my life got a lot better once I just accepted that this is just kind of who I am. If there are, you know, situations where I need to manage these things to, you know, either, you know, push forward professionally or make more friends, then I need to manage them. But other, you know, they're not things that need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And I've come across mm-hmm. some really interesting articles around this topic this year and I will share them shortly. But I guess first I wanted to get your thoughts on this topic because it's something I'm not really across fully and it's one of these ones I'm like, I just really want to tease this out with Brooke and hear her thoughts on it. So I guess to kick off, like what do you think, first of all, drives this idea that we are broken and need to be fixed because it is a fairly common thing that pretty much everyone feels about some aspect of them. Yes, it it absolutely is, and I think it's really detrimental in in so many ways. I think that again, I'm like similar to you. I don't have a specifically well thought out answer to this kind yeah. of topic. <laughs> like I'm I'm feeling it out with you, but I do think that there is a, a real tendency to labels and a tendency to diagnosis is the wrong word, but in one particular aspect of what we're going to talk about, I think that it it fits, but you know, we, and and if we don't fit in these labels or these boxes, then we think there's something wrong with us. And I think that that's sort of where often the, the tendency to want to, to want to fix comes from. It's like, well, I don't fit in. Well, Ben and I were talking about it on the podcast the other day. He's like, I don't know if I'm an extrovert or an introvert. Mm, listen like, to that one. I'm like, you're an yeah. ambivert, Ben. Come yeah, on. That's what I said. I've got a label for you. I know, I know yeah. Brooke, Brooke doesn't like labels, but I've got one. <laughs> uh, and, but, I mean, in the end, I'm like, does it matter? You know, is it is it problematic to you? Is it bothering you? And he said, only that people are like, which one are you? He's like, I don't know. You know, and I... I yeah, I think it comes I, from that. I'm sorry, I keep talking over you, but I, I was going to say, I did want to talk, this is probably good because I've always wanted to talk to you about this thing where you do hate labels and I really love them. And I think this is, might even be a good place to have that chat because I I kind of quite, I gravitate towards labels because they help me make sense of the world and I like, you know, I don't like putting people in boxes but if I can kind of categorize them loosely, 
I can understand them and I can, so I can understand their reactions to things or I can understand their behaviors and in being able to understand their behaviors, I can then accept them. Mm-hmm. But I, I do realize that a lot of, that's not how it works for a lot of people. A lot of people just like labeling people and putting them in a box. And, and I think that's probably the, the version of labeling, labeling that you're quite resistant to or... That would be right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's actually a really important distinction to make. I, I don't know why I, I'm not down with labels necessarily because I get it. Like when you say it helps you make sense of the world and you're able to look at someone's behavior and think, well, that's probably because they tend to be, you know, an introvert or they tend to be an obliger and, and that helps you make sense of it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like I really do. I, I get it. It's definitely the putting someone in a box or making someone fit into a box that doesn't necessarily fit that I have a significant issue with because I think that, you know, that then ties into comparison and, you know, judging yourself against others and judging yourself against what others expect of you because of this box that you've been put in, all that kind of stuff. And I think that there's a lot of pain tied up in that. But, you know... I don't know. People, people are always asking me, you know, are you an INTJ? And I'm like, I think so. I can't remember. <laughs> I know what you are. And that means you're a rebel. <laughs> don't tell me what I am. Don't label me with the label of someone who doesn't like labels. <laughs> I was going to say, that's your, like, yeah, your closet rebel coming out there. Like, but I think that's the thing is I think the danger is, and this comes back to the whole thing of feeling broken is when certain labels define us and when, yeah, when people yes. fall into the trap of thinking, okay, okay, so Kelly, you're an introvert, therefore that means this. And then, Correct. you know, people yep. who don't know that I'm like pretty much as extreme an introvert as you can get, and but, you know, they see me out you know, at a conference and they see me chatting comfortably with people and, they, and then they go, but you reckon you're an introvert, yet you do this. And it's like, yes that's how people work and they can mm. they can operate outside of you know because I just look at these things as you know preferences in some situations so like my my preferred behavior is you know to not have conversations with people full of small talk and shallow surface stuff but in yep. certain situations it, it calls for that and I can do it when the situation calls for it it's not my preference I'd rather not do it but I can do it because that's what I need to do to be a functioning human in society. And I think that that's what people do forget when they start putting boxes around people and going, you're this and you're that, mm. is they don't realize humans' capacity, yeah, for, you know, there's so much more to us than these things that we prefer to be or these labels that we wear. And I guess this might be a good time to talk about, there was an episode of the NPR podcast, it's just Invisibilia, and it's called The Problem with the Solution. So it kind of highlights the way that human brains are problem-solving machines. Like that's that's just how the human brain works. So if we see something that we consider to be a problem, we immediately want to fix it, and that's the human mind. And so we see things like, you know, mental illness, especially extreme mental illness where people are behaving well outside the norms of what is seen as society, you know, socially acceptable behavior. We see that as behavior that needs to be fixed. And so the Invisibilia host, she talks about her sister who, you know, had, I, I can't remember what it was that she had, but it was quite an extreme mental illness. And, you know, of course she ended up 
in an institution where, you know, and a lot of these institutions, people get sent there and they spend their days heavily drugged sitting in front of a TV. So they're absolutely not living. And that, that mm. is seen as a workable solution to the problem of their mental health problem. And so then they talk about this quite radical thing where there's this town in Belgium where people with, I don't even know the right terminology to um, describe it, but people with these problems, and I've got rabbit ears around problems, they're sent to like just a, you know, a home in this town in Belgium and they just live with the family. Hmm. And they're not, and the family isn't told, oh, this person has schizophrenia or this person's, you know, a manic depressive. Like they're just told, here's this person and they're going to live with you. And, they, and these people, they just embrace the person. So whatever they do, however their behavior manifests, they just roll with it. Hmm. And yeah, and I just think it's such an incredible thing because then these people you know, they can walk the streets of this town and they can just be acting out in what we would call a crazy manner and people just let them do it and get on with their day and no one's judging them and going, oh, what you're doing there is wrong and we need to fix your behaviour. Like they're just allowed to do it. And I found it, I just, I really strongly encourage everybody to go and listen to it because it kind of really blew my mind because I'm a problem solver. I I, for a very, very long time, I just wanted to, if someone comes to me with, oh, like, this is an issue in my life and I'm like, let's fix this, like, we can fix this, let's fix it. And it's like, and then I just, it kind of got me thinking, sometimes we just need to accept like that this person is like this and go with it rather than trying to fix them. Yeah, um, I think kind it's, of, yeah. it's mm-hmm. such a beautiful picture of acceptance, you know, and I think that, of course, context is important, yeah. both going back to what we we're talking about with labels, I think that, and, and, and preferences, context is really important there too. And I think that's when people are taken out of context and just applied with that label, mm. you know, and that's what people see. I think that's highly problematic. You know, if someone, as you said, someone sees you at a conference and they're like, well, Kelly said she's an introvert, but there she is talking to other people. That's just applying a label to someone out of context, you know, and very little happens in a vacuum. And I think that acceptance is, is sort of the antithesis of of that. And it's an openness and it's, it's a, it's a non-box approach to, you know, to, to, to interacting with people. And I think the other thing that the NPR story really touched in me was this, can't really articulate it particularly well, but it's this sense of connection, you know, and I think that, that acceptance and connection, you know, on a human to human sort of level are really closely linked. And I think that there's something very beautiful about what they're doing with these people who have their mental health issues in simply making them a part of society. And I think that there's something incredibly beautiful in that. You know, of course, I think then, you know, your your brain kicks into overdrive and you think about all the potential problems with it. But what I like is that they, you know, they, I'm sure they've seen what the potential problems might be and they've gone with it anyway, you know, because yes. I think that, as you say, the opposite of acceptance is just kind of plonking these people into an institution where they're not living. Whereas it's, and it's also, you know, then it taps into this idea of kind of neurotypical and neurodiverse people, yeah. which I think the conversation is now slowly starting to open up in society about, you know, people who are neurotypical and people who aren't neurotypical. And, 
and you know why that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to connect and communicate and you know understand and empathize and all these other things without just seeing them as this person who is the other or different or you know someone who needs to be fixed or fixed in order to make us not feel uncomfortable yeah and i think yeah. that, that and i think you've kind of hit the nail right on the head there is that a lot of the time the reason we're trying to fix people is because we want them to be the way we want them to be rather than yeah. we don't want to there's a lot of work that goes into acceptance and sometimes we don't really want to do the because you yeah. know the, there's blowbacks of it there's going to be difficult situations like, like as you mentioned in this town in Belgium like you know there would be situations where someone has ended up doing something quite dangerous to the people that they're living with or they actually talked to like one couple where the guy that was living with them like you know really got attached to the wife and kind of really started to get into the get in the way of their relationship but you know it was so interesting listening to them talk it out because it was just so yeah you know he would do this and you know yeah and it really annoyed me and this is the husband speaking and it was just a real openness to the conversation and I think what it was and I think the thing that really really moved me was the lack of judgment because Mm. that's something that you don't come across a lot in society Mm. like a, a, a ready acceptance of like well this is just how this person is and also I'm not judging them. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. It's just is. And here's like what we did to work with it and work around it. And, you know, sometimes you go, we actually can't work with it. We're not the right family for this person. But it's, yeah, it it's just the way that they came about. It was really beautiful. And I guess because I kind of come back to, say, my own relationship where, like I think the thing that makes me feel most secure in my own relationship is that, you know, I can be quite an annoying person. Like, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I'm the person, you know, I'm always chasing, I'm, I'm much better now actually, I'm much better self-aware and, you know, not throwing myself into overwhelm and chasing after a million ideas. But, you know, Ant's been with me for over 20 years and I've always been this person that, you know, if a tiny little bit of space opens up in my life, I'm like, ooh, I can do this idea that I've had in my head for ages and, you know, and he's never really said to me, Kelly, you got to stop doing that. And I just, and I think back over so many parts of my life and it's parents doing it kind of, not maliciously, but as a parent of, a, say, a very spiritable, a spirited four-year-old, I have to catch myself all the time not telling, to, not to tell her, can you just be less of yourself? Yeah. Like, you know, I have to catch myself and go, this is who she is and do not make her feel that who she is and how she is is wrong just because it rocks your world a bit. Having Mm. to, you know, you're a quiet person who likes space and likes, you know, and Mia is basically a perpetual noise-making machine, like, you know, (laughs) and and so that's what, you know, because I think it just comes back to being a parent, I go, it's so easy to put our preconceived ideas of how we want things to be onto our kids. And certainly like, you know, with I don't want to, you know, my mum doesn't listen to this podcast, so she's not going to feel bad. But, you know, the message I got from my extrovert mum growing up was that my introversion was wrong and needed to be fixed. And so yeah. I guess now whenever I see this, and I do wonder if I had grown up, 
you know, I'm fine now, but I do wonder what how life would have been different if I'd grown up with the message that, you know, this is who you are, you're a quiet person, you don't like being, you know, going to loud parties or being around lots of people or you like doing things in your own time and that's fine. And this is a message I give to my son who is, you know, he's an introvert as well. You know, I, I just say to him, in your own time, if this is overwhelming for you or it's too loud or it's too much, just take a break and work into it. And he always does, like, you know, he, I remember him at, you know, being like a two or a three-year-old and going to a birthday party where there's, you know, there's 30 kids and they all, you know, 29 kids go that way and Jaden would go that way. And I thought, you know, if that was me when I was a kid, I would have had people saying to me, what are you doing? Why, yeah. why are you going over there? You've got to go where the other kids are. Why are you being so antisocial? Whereas, you know, I thought it was interesting for me that I would just say to Jaden, look, you just, yeah, do, that's fine. I didn't even say anything. I'm just like, I just followed him where he went. And I just found it interesting how he would slowly gravitate his way over to where all the other kids were eventually, but he just did it in his own time. So I guess like this is what drives my interest in this whole concept of acceptance. But I guess the other thing is there's also this tension where I also always want to be better. <laughs> yeah, and that, that is such a tension, isn't it? When you're, when you're kind of you know, working to acceptance and it is what it is and that's okay, but also trying to pair that with a desire to improve, you know, and I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. And also wanting the people that you love, you also want them to be better as well. You want them to be better versions of themselves. And I see, so I think that that I'm, yeah, I'm interested to hear from you what you think about that. I get, there's no line. I know there's no line, but do you find it difficult to navigate that line between accepting people for who they are, but also knowing that they could be better, that they have the potential to be better and wanting to think, well, how do I, how do I give that message? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of course. You know, I, I tend to examine things fairly deeply and slowly over time. Um, no <laughs> understatement way. of the century. <laughs> Uh, but you know and I think it's hard you know you don't you don't want to be that person who's sending the message I like you as you are but you'd be so much better if yeah you know and it's like that that can come across unintentionally even you know even when you're you're as best as well intentioned as possible that can come across you know and I think that I think first of all acceptance needs to be complete I like I really do. I yeah. think that 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 needs to come first. Just complete acceptance. If that it, it, I love you as you are, the end. Yeah. <laughs> Unconditional, yeah. you know, unconditional acceptance. And then I think from a place of abundance, you can you can look at improvement mm. or striving or, you know, ambition or whatever you want to call it, but I think that the the acceptance needs to be complete and unconditional first. And I think that when when someone feels that, I can only speak for myself, but when I feel that, when I feel like the love or the acceptance is complete and unconditional, then, you know, attempts for like even critical like criticism or, you know, attempts to help you don't feel like an attack on you as a person mm, because you know yeah. that what it's coming from a place of complete and unconditional love. Like I will love you regardless. You can ignore what I'm saying. You can go in the opposite direction. I accept you as you are wholly. You know, and I think for me that's that's the key because yeah. otherwise it – and look, sometimes it will be anyway, but otherwise it can be misconstrued as you're not quite good enough. 
Or I'll love you if you. If, yeah. Yeah. I'd love you a little bit more if. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because that's it. I do find that with it, and it's really only with loved ones. It's, it's, you know, you love, you know, you love your family, you love your kids, you love your partner. And I agree, it does need to be just kind of, yes, very unconditional. Look, who, who you are, I just love you no matter what. And then that love and acceptance, I think, provides like, I guess, a, you know, safety almost yeah. from which you can then, and if you know that they believe in that, unconditional acceptance and love and I think that's another thing as well is yes you know it's all well and good to love someone unconditionally but they have to actually also believe in it in order for them to then be able to take on board things you say you know in them in the matter that it's intended absolutely yeah and and that's on really on them and not on you like there's only so much you can do to to make someone realize that you love them unconditionally but once they do yeah that's it Mm. Yeah, I think it. I also think it's a really, it's kind of got quite a, a Buddhist idea going back to what we were talking about with the the, you know, the the mental health problem and mm. stuff like that. It's sort of this Buddhist idea of life, life being suffering, you know, yeah. which sounds awful, but I, I don't think it is. I actually think that that is acceptance. You know, you accept and love someone for all their flaws and all their strengths and everything in between. And it's that full acceptance and from that acceptance comes enoughness and contentment. And when people feel like they, they are enough in your eyes from there, you can do, you can grow from there, you can improve, but it's that, that, yeah, it's that acceptance of, of like, they will disappoint you. You will disappoint them. They, there are parts of them that make you uncomfortable that you, you just naturally want to change. Yeah. But if you don't, and I think that's where the, the real, you know, unconditional, love comes in so to call it suffering it seems quite brutal but I actually think that there's so much wisdom in that you know life is not and this of course ties back to one of our favorite topics of entitlement you know <laughs> life ties back to to this like well I should be comfortable this person's making me uncomfortable or you know my partner's habit or my partner's you know character trait is making me uncomfortable in a different kind of way it needs to change rather than just global acceptance I think yeah I think there's yeah, growth, you know, growth comes from there, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think that, mm. you know, that defines like, you know, how, the difference between, you know, the, your romantic partner and the person you choose to spend your life with as opposed to any other person out there in the world. It's not the fact that they're not flawed, you know, they're not perfect. They, they don't tick all the boxes. Like it's no. just that there's you have a feeling for them that is so intense that it kind of means that these things that would annoy you in any other person – you just accept it <laughs> yeah, in them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people see this as kind of settling, like, you know, like, oh, they're, you know, they're not quite right, but, I, you know, <laughs> I'm settling for this yeah. kind of thing. And it's like, well, it's actually not settling. It's, you know, but then also then there's where's the line. It's kind of like you, you do have to accept this person, but if they're a self, you know, if they have a self-destructive mentality or if they're kind of not making you a better version of yourself, perhaps it's, you know, perhaps you shouldn't be so accepting of them or perhaps you can be accepting of them, but maybe they're not the right life, right life partner for you. And I guess that's what I kind of look to with acceptance in general is that it's it seems 
paradoxical because it seems that by telling people that you take them exactly as they are and that you accept them exactly as they are, you think it's almost giving them an excuse to not strive. But I generally, what I have found is that people who ha- accept me for who I am and, you know, flaws and all make me want to be a better person. Yep. And they it's like a safety net sitting underneath me from which I can then try to be a better person and fail and try and fail, but I can always fall back onto this safety net of acceptance that I've got. Yeah, and I think that's where the power of it comes, you know, the power of, of that that completely unconditional acceptance is in that it doesn't make you want to settle and go, okay, well, I'm flawed and so be it and that's all I'm going to be and, you know, I'm not going to try and change. It it gives you the confidence or the, you know, the, the strength or the – the, the desire, I guess, to, to, to try, you know, and improve or try and change or try and do different things and, and know that regardless how many times or how badly you stuff up, you're, you've got someone in your corner wholly and unconditionally. Yeah. And I think that that then ties in really beautifully with the, the theme of today's episode with like, we're not broken. I think, you know, to have someone who believes that of you, as you are, as flawed as you are, is one of the most powerful things. And it doesn't have to be a romantic partner. It can be a parent. No. It can be a best yeah. mate. It can be you know, a mentor, a sister or brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that that's something that, I mean, talking of deserving, that is something that everyone deserves, to have one person yeah. who fully believes that of them. And I think that, you know, broadening the, the scope of it out to, to society level, imagine, you know, imagine. Oh. If we accepted each other, like flaws and all, and, and people felt safe and they didn't feel judged. And, and you know, imagine if we all had that on a, yeah. on a grander scale, how how much we might might be be driven to, to, to think bigger or think broader or to try something else or to, yeah. Just to be braver oh. because I said yeah. just the, the bravery that you can – find when you have got that safety net yeah it's interesting actually another invisibilia episode that i've just recently listened to and doesn't specifically talk about this but it's called flip the script where it's like when you you know generally speaking we mirror each other's behavior so if you know if you're nice to me i'll be nice to you if you're aggressive to me i'll probably respond Mm. aggressively to you Mm -hmm. and they talked about how flipping the script so if someone is aggressive to you and you respond to them in a nice or an accepting manner or you just kind of take their behavior as it is, it it really diffuses the situation and Mm -hmm. just turns it on its head. And I do sometimes wonder on a societal level, like if we're able to, yeah, be a bit more open-minded, resist the urge to go, okay, I've slapped a label on this person and therefore everything that they do is going to be seen through that lens from now on rather than just rather than using that label to go okay so they're understanding you know they're acting a bit weird at the moment it it, maybe it's because of this but regardless like I'm just gonna take the behavior at face value I'm not going to take it personally I'm not going to try and figure out why it is I'm not even going to try and fix the problem that they seem to be having at the moment I'm just going to go you know is there anything I can do or you know, not, not respond aggressively or not respond defensively Mm. or not, you know, and I do think that, yeah, each tiny little bit of each reaction that we're able to flip slightly in that way. And we can start in our homes because who do we most get defensive with? Like probably our partners, of course, (laughs) yeah. you know, and, and then we start taking that, that ripple out wider and wider and wider, you know, just, 
smiling at someone who's kind of walking down the street looking all grumpy and you smile at them and all of a sudden their their whole face just snaps out of this Mm -hmm. grump and they smile back at you and you go wow like that's pretty cool like I just yeah I see these little ripples and I guess this is my idealistic Kelly coming out here like I'm like, think of the ripples guys <laughs> but, but yeah it just yeah it uh, yeah that invisibilia episode kind of really moved me because it it really did highlight to me that yeah my tendency towards being a fixer of seeing a problem where you know you can see problems everywhere if you want to but instead of treating everything like a problem that needs to be fixed, maybe instead of just accepting things for how they are and yep. in, the, in the moment, that tiny little bit of acceptance, you might not have any idea what it means to that person to have you not, you know, like, you know, I even think it's, it's stupid little stories like this, like where I'll be in a meeting, a, a staff meeting, I hate meetings so much. <laughs> And the difference between, and Ant knows how much I hate meetings, and he's always telling me I need to pull my head in a little bit with meetings instead of making it so apparent that I just don't want to be there, like, you know, professionally. Just throwing it out there, (laughs) Kelly. But, you know, I just remember being in a meeting one day where, you know, again, I was just like stabbing myself in the eye going, come on, let's get out of here. And I saw him look towards me. He he was sitting next to me. And it would have been, firstly, very justified for him to just roll his eyes and go, Kelly, get it together. <laughs> get but, that pen out of your eye. Yeah. <laughs> but he looked at me and he just smiled at, and he smiled in a, oh, yeah, I know you hate these things kind of way. And I can't even describe the feeling, the difference in feeling between having him roll his eyes at me and go, you're the worst, hmm. Kelly, come and we've spoken about this and having him just go, you know, look, I know, I know you hate these things, but come on, like you, we just got to get through it. It just made me feel really accepted and loved. And it was such a stupid, tiny little thing. So I just think sometimes, yeah, there's opportunities all through the day for us to, you know, the checkout cashier who's, you know, clearly having a bad day and she's just like, uh, uh, and you know, and if you, and you could just stand there and go, oh God, like, you know, this is your job. Just your job is to be to nice to me you know to smile at me so Dan will smile at me and if you just look at them and give them a smile that goes I just get it you know you're having a bad day I think you have the power to make a real change in that person's life just in that like moment so yeah Yeah, and I think that that's where the you know the acceptance and connection stuff really comes together It, it doesn't need to be grand it doesn't need to to be you know an experiment in mental health housing or anything yes. like that it's just it, you know it's just acceptance and connection there's this facebook page that i follow called special books by special kids mm-hmm. and it is so beautiful it's this young guy chris who was a special ed teacher started interviewing kids you know yeah. neurodiverse kids kids who have huge challenges either you know health wise or developmentally and he just interviews them like the normal kids like like the the age specific kids that they are you know and he he just treats them like they want to be treated normally you know and has these wonderful conversations with them that highlights the fact that they are just they are people you know and And they just want to be seen as people yeah Yeah, exactly and it's really beautiful and I know I've just been super ham-fisted in the way I've spoken about it because Mm. I don't ever want to say you know the wrong terminology or whatever but go and check it out because it um it's it is 
one of the simplest things you can do, I guess, to, to start to see a group of people who, you know, sometimes you might look at and wonder what, like, what's their story, you know, what are their challenges, but you don't know how to be open to, yeah. <laughs> to that, yeah. you know, and he just does it in such a, a wonderful human connecting kind of way that every time I watch one of his videos, I cry, <laughs> not out of sadness or anything like that, just out of beauty, you know, and yeah. it's in his, it's in his approach, you know, it's got nothing to do with me. It's in his approach to, to these people who are sometimes, you know, left on the outside, which, which sucks. And it's, it's just complete acceptance and it's really beautiful. And I think that, that kind of stuff is so important because, you know, often when we see people who are either visibly different or acting differently, it does, it makes us uncomfortable because it is the other, not because, you know, we're bad people, but because we don't understand. And I think that that acceptance and that, that willingness to connect in, you know, in a human capacity brings us out of that discomfort and into the, the connection. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let It Be. If you want to connect with Kelly or myself, you can find us on social media. Kelly is at Kelly Exeter on Twitter. And on Facebook, if you search for A Life Less Frantic, you will find her there. And on uh, Twitter, I'm at Brooke McCallery. And on Facebook, I'm at Slow Your Home. And uh, if you wanted to either reach out to us on Twitter, you can use hashtag LetItBePod or uh, head over to LetItBe.fm and you can find our show notes and other information about the show. And finally, if you wanted or felt you know, the desire to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And um, you know, we, we read them all and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and then uh, tell us what you think. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.